Let's go, y'all. Everything around me. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season 7.0, if I'm correct, of Arch Conversations. Uh, we've done so many, like we've Arch Supplies and Arch Conversations going on concurrently until I lose track of numbers. So, welcome to Arch Conversations 7.0. And to start off this season, we have some amazing women with us. Before I go into that, let us introduce our sponsors. I have been working with Buy Canary to produce a capsule jewelry collection. I'm actually wearing them today. I don't think you can see it, but you'll find out a lot more about it as the week's progress and we launch. So Buy Canary will be donating 10% of proceeds from this collaboration to Big Love, whom the ladies represent as an organization. Let us get into it. Who are you and what is Big Love? Do you want to do individually? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so my name is Adila. I'm a senior manager here at Big Love Child Protection Specialist Centre. I'm Weiling, so uh, assistant senior social worker. Yeah, at Big Love. Yeah. And what is and who or what is Big Love? Yeah, so Big Love is a community-based child protection specialist centre. So we were set up in back in 2013. So we are coming to our 10 years, and it was set up by MSF. Um, to uh, set up a community-based agency to deal with the families that need help with their resilience, you know, to improve their family functioning, but has child protection issues, but may not need uh, statutory intervention. So these are families who are in need of help, who may have issues in terms of their children, their family functioning, but government thinks that, okay, they did not have to come in at that moment, so they, um, I guess, refer down the families to us and the other CPSC. So to put it in English, for simple-minded folk like me, <laughs> before the government steps in, you are like an intermediary yeah. to help with family and children issues mm -hmm. domestically within Singapore. Yes. Yes? Yes. 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 Okay. And Weiling, what is your role in this? Mm, I think I think for me, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a social worker first and foremost. So I think I work with these families. Um, so like what Dee says, we work with them on improving uh, family functioning. So uh, for me specifically, I'm in a team called Safe and Strong Family Preservation. I think in Big Love, we have different teams. So basically, I'm in a Safe and Strong Family Preservation where my role is really to preserve the children within the family. So um, reducing our home placement. So I see the kids and the family like on a weekly basis. Yeah. So I think um, for Dee, she can actually share a bit more about the case management team. Like mm. just, just uh, a brief. Yeah, so Wailing's team does a more intensive six months intervention yeah. for the family. So she, that's why she has to see the family family weekly. Mm -hmm. uh, but for our, my team, the case management team, we see the family maybe on a longer basis. It can still be shorter than hers or even six months, but it's not as intensive. We do not have to see the family weekly. Mm -hmm. But the, there are some families where we do go in weekly and to preserve the family or to work on reunification of families where children have been placed elsewhere. And we are trying to you know, uh, we unite the family together. Mm. Okay, so there are two different teams. Hers is more like probably the most severe cases need immediate attention all the time. And yours is more about unification and... No, so we, I wouldn't say her team is yeah. more severe. We deal with similar okay. uh, severity. But hers are the families where if they do not come in <laughs> right now, the kid, there is a high chance that the I child see. may be placed elsewhere. I see. So for ours also, there's a chance for the child to be placed elsewhere. So we try to preserve to ensure the child is not placed. But we also get families where the child is already placed elsewhere and to reunite them together. 
I see. So I also want to clarify something is that big love is the intermediary. So they are not supposed to be taking children away from homes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm. You're more like rehabilitation and helping families cope living together. Yes. Right? Yeah. That is yeah. exactly what you guys do, right? Yeah, we don't have the power to remove children or place children elsewhere. If we do have to place, it's sometimes with parents' consent. Parents also acknowledge that they are not able to. So then um, they will agree for us to place the child elsewhere while we work on their own separate issues and then work on reuniting them together. Mm. Okay. So today's the reason for today's podcast is really about child abuse awareness. Um, I think that as... I mean, as a Singaporean, I don't think we talk about this enough, you know, and having this podcast this season is all about growing up. And the first hit would be for me to talk about child abuse in Singapore. I think that the whole COVID situation would have caused a spike in child abuse cases or family, just domestic issues within the nation. And do you have any stats or what is child abuse like in Singapore? Mm. I think we will need to look at the stats again, but I think there's always been a consistent rise in families that's known to the, uh, I guess, to the sector for child protection issues. Whether COVID has uh, caused a big spike, that's something I don't have off hand right now in terms mm -hmm. of whether there's numbers to mm. back that up. Mm. I don't know about your experience. I think, I think if I'm not wrong, I think looking at some of the, the Straits Times news, they, there is a spike. I mean, uh, but I don't know whether it's just attributed just based on solely COVID situation mm. or also increased awareness. So mm. I think that could be two parts yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so what is the current child abuse situation in Singapore? Mm. What do you mean by the current situation? So from what you guys experience, what is like what is child abuse awareness like right now? Mm. I think child abuse awareness right now is something that is still in not in its adulthood phase, it's still like growing. People are still trying to figure out what is uh, abuse. You know, we work with parents of our generations where they say, you know, they grew up with this. Why was it not abuse then? You know, like I, I think we have families who tell us, no, my parents came me, back me, I grew up okay. And then you're, yep. here you are telling them that, no, actually it's not okay. You know, you cannot raise your child the same way. Be it physical or emotional abuse, mm -hmm. it's still abuse. And I think that's something very hard for the older generation to yes. understand. Yeah. So, like, let's filter out the cases because it can get quite confusing. Abuse, mm -hmm. this term mm -hmm. abuse mm -hmm. should not be used lightly. Yes. But at the same time, emotional abuse or physical abuse should not also be just shunned. Mm. So how do you guys then work? Because it's not easy to when cases come to you. How do you even segregate whether this is a real or false case, etc.? Mm. So I think we look at the evidence first. I mean, if there are marks on the child, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious. But if you're talking about emotional, psychological abuse, that's a bit more tricky, mainly because there's no, like, no outward signs like physical marks. So something we really have to talk to the child, talk to the youth about what's going on with them. You know, what's the impact of mothers or caregivers or fathers or whoever in their support system calling them certain things or doing certain things to them, you know, and what is the impact and what how has it impacted their functioning? You know, are they doing well in school? Or how are their social relationships? What's their boundaries like with each other? So that's where we come in to try and figure out, okay, what's the impact of whatever's been happening and how can we help the children, help the youth and help the families, you know, sort of like 
deal with this impact and um, I guess sort of like find ways to cope with whatever's going on. Yeah, I guess the, the, the highlight that what we share is really impact. So I think even if it's like psychological abuse, emotional abuse, sometimes it's hard to tell. But I think some behaviours of the children will actually show. It may not be so like direct. Yeah, but they do show in signs uh, in their own capacity as a child. Yeah, so so I think even things like, um, I, I think even like sexual abuse, I mean, these, these things con- consist of like uh, secrecy. Um, so so it's, I mean, it's not that easy and straightforward to, to mm. think that, oh, we can directly say that, oh, it's abuse. But, mm. but we do, I think the focus is really the impact. How is the child experiencing everything? How is the child displaying it? Yeah. So I think even when I, I manage my own cases, that's something that I look out for. So sometimes parents will say, oh, but I'm just wounding uh, him or her, what? There's no uh, real reason. Last time my parents also told me, but I think we look at the impact. How does it affect the child's esteem, for example? Confidence. How does he relate to the child, uh, like to other peers? Um, so all this will comes out. So I think we also work closely with like community agencies mm-hmm. where they will provide feedback. Um, for example, in a school setting, that would be like the school counsellor, the teachers. So I think we work closely with all these um, community agencies. So then we also understand what is happening to the family. So the, that's the next point I want to bring up. So how do cases come under your radar outside of school, outside of, you know, when there are community leaders or someone who is very vigilant? Um, are there any other ways that cases can come under your radar? Because I'm just talking about, like, it's me as a neighbour, mm. as a friend, as a bystander, right? Yeah. If I see something that I think is off, like, you know how when you go to a train, they'll say, like, if there's a bag there you know you should inform somebody right so just as the same way if i think that i see or feel something's off how do cases then go under your radar when they are not in a community-based setting mm. so i think right now our families uh, come to us to the committees like you said we also have members of public calling us directly or calling nabh or calling msf yeah slow that down yeah sorry NA. nabh is the national anti-violence hotline for uh, abuse and sexual harassment yeah uh nabh yeah so um yeah the hotline that was set up right after covid or during covid and it was set up to deal with all these calls for members of public or even professionals to report on abuse or sexual harassment and then uh, msf is the ministry of social and family development so um calls of by members of public they can actually call any of these agencies to report any concerns that they have any suspicions that they have regarding maybe their neighbours or even their friends. We actually have families who were referred to us because the child themselves called us and they were like telling us, my mama is uh, beating me. So then you are able to come in and work with the family to ensure that, you know, these sort of things don't happen. And we really had to applaud that child. You know, she called us. I think she was nine at that point. She basically called us and she was saying, yeah, my mama is beating me. How do these, how do the children find out the hotline numbers and stuff? So for that, particular family we actually had an outreach in the school mm. so we have worked with the schools the school will invite us like can you come and do a road show can you come do assembly talks about child abuse and then it was just coincidence that on that day we went to her school and on that afternoon she called us i see and she, she learned from it hey, she can call for help yeah this is not okay because i think that's very important i think there's something that i did not have as a child growing up mm-hmm. um let's not list the past things that have happened to me but as a child growing up, I think you get quite confused because whatever the adults or whoever is immediately around you that's older than you, that you see as an authoritative figure, be it a police or, you know, like someone in a uniform, your teacher or your parents, you think that that is the rule and the law mm. of the world because your world is not beyond that. You don't mm-hmm. have, you don't know anything beyond that at that yeah. time as a child. 
So whatever they feed you, you take it as like, okay, I have to live this way or else. There's yeah. no or else, right? Yeah. For a kid. So I think it's very helpful and important to spread that message that there are hotlines out there that are toll-free. Mm. You can just call in with any form of information of suspicion or if things are happening to yourself because mm -hmm. that was not available to me as a child and I wish I had known, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And oh, I also want to bring back the point you mentioned when you said like, you know, older parents or older people say like, well, it's happened to me in the past and I lived through it and how is it not okay for me to then do it to my child? Mm -hmm. This is personal first-hand experience, yeah? yeah? Just because I was brought up being beat or emotionally told certain things when I now know as an adult is wrong does not mean that I want my child to grow up this way at all. Yeah? yeah? I am no way, shape or form wanna like then do it to a child because then I feel like violence begets violence. Mm -hmm. I don't think that is in any kind of teaching the right way to raise a child. Mm. So that form of thinking should be eradicated. If anyone says that to you, not you guys, obviously you are already working against that, but if anyone says that to you and you are listening to them, I don't think it's okay for you to just be in agreement or like, oh, I don't want to start a fight, therefore I shouldn't say anything. I think we should take a stand and say like, hey, that is wrong, almost medieval-like. It is not okay to say violence should bring up more violence mm. and or emotional abuse put it there. But I do sometimes hit the hand of my child when she is making mistakes in school that infuriates me. So I guess there is a line to draw as well between, that's why I said like, don't use the word abuse lightly, but at the same time, we should look out for signs. So can you just let me know like, I know there's no benchmark, you know, or like yeah. black, white line, right? Because yeah. it's quite grey sometimes. But at what point do we consider abuse, abuse? You know, like, of course, mm -hmm. violence is obvious. Sexual abuse is wrong, you know, but like mental or like, you know, like verbal abuse, like what, at what line do we not cross? Because I do hit my child when she, you know, makes mistakes and I hit her hand and like basically punishments, right? As I reward her, I punish her as well. But there's also like a line that you don't cross, like I do not burn or hit my child to point their marks and stuff like that. So where do we really draw this line? Maybe Wailing, you can answer. I think, I think, I mean, I'm a parent myself as well. I have a one-year-old. So I, I think I can understand. Um, no, no, not at one. No, no. Myself. Wait till she gets to like, you know, she gets to like eight years old and they're challenging every single rule cheeky, you set. Right? Yeah. yeah. So he, he will be testing boundaries. Mm -hmm. and, and there are times I'm, I'm like, I'm a social worker, but I can't, I can't yeah. deal with my yeah. child um, deliberately maybe biting me. So I think I, I can understand from the perspective that it's never easy mm -hmm. to hold that balance. Um, but I think the, the question would then be, you see, if, if I were to hit my child, so I, I hit it lightly, oh, then we say that, oh, it's okay. But when is the time that you will lose control? Correct. When is the time that you That's my lose, question. lose that, that um, oh, um, as a parent, I lose that, that mind of mine and then I start hitting. Yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, if you're talking about science, so I think it falls back to like the impact that we were talking about previously. Like, how is it affecting the child? I mean, bruises, marks, it's obvious science already. Um, which, which is something that you have already said that no, it's not going to like all these are very obvious but emotionally if the child is having like constant put down and then um, I mean it may lead to even suicidal tendencies or mental health issues 
Um, so all this, of course, this is the extreme end where they have been prolonged um, experiencing, you know, being put down, being put into it. When you say that, what, like, can you give some examples, like just hmm. vague examples? Vague examples. Like being put down, for example. So I have a family yeah. where this girl was mm-hmm. brought, brought up by a single parent and the parent was always calling the girl names, uh, Buffalo, you're stupid, you're an idiot. So there I got that too. Yeah. yeah, so there was one time I went to a session with her. She was telling me she had a dictionary there. Then I was like, okay. Then she was saying, she how, opened it how up. How old? The girl at that Don't point. Don't have the exact age. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. She was late primary. Okay. Yeah. She showed me, she was like, this is what my mother said, but I am not. Mm-hmm. This is what my mother said, I am not. And then she was like, so why is she saying this? Mm. Yeah. And then so I had to sit down with her and go through with her like, you know, what is, you know, and then she was saying, but can you get my mother to stop because I am not. Mm. You know? So it may be a simple comment that a parent thinks they are giving the child. Why are you acting? Why are you eating so much like a pig? But it stays in the child. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think to expound on that as well, um how do I put this? Uh first of all, single parents are great. Nothing wrong with single parents. Yeah. yeah, not all of them are like that. Um and there are several forms of single parenthood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like it could be like one parent is working a lot and so both parents are around. Just, that's still single parenting. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But this is advice to single parents out there, yeah? Just because you're angry and you have no one to share this burden of raising a child with, which can be very difficult at all ages from one to eight or whatever, uh, does not mean that you then take your anger or your resentments and then put it on your kid mm-hmm. in this way, in this form. Yes calling your kids' names incessantly actually leads to very, very strong psychological issues or even PTSD as you grow older. Because not just me, but a lot of my girlfriends around me have grown up that way. And I guess it stayed with us for a really long time. Back in the day, you know, there's no helpline, there's no like, you know, call you know, yeah. someone for help or whatever. But as an adult, to slowly go through life and then realize that, hey, they were wrong. I'm not what they called me. Took a really, really long time. So parents of both single and non-single, whatever, (laughs) right, out there, please be just a bit more vigilant about the names you call your children. I think words bear weight. I think in this modern context, because WhatsApp, you know, like... Mm fast social media and everything, everything's so fast, we tend to forget that words bear weight and we just use them Mm. randomly. I totally agree with this point that we should not. Mm. Um, Do you guys have any other examples of what we should not do outside of like verbal abuse? I think we also have families where they use food or isolation as a form of uh, ways of managing their child when you say food you mean like not feeding yes yeah or saying that you know um i will only give you um like a child coming home from school you know sometimes they're tired they want to eat mm-hmm. but the parent only sets aside maybe one piece of biscuit for them and they are like maybe at the age of 14 or oh. even 11 or 10 and they need more than biscuit after school is yeah. that because they are financially inept or is it because they're angry with the kid for some reason? So sometimes it's more of anger with the kid. Mm. I mean, if there's financial constraints, there's services out there, there's help out there to help. Mm. But there are some families who, despite having the means to, this is how they manage their child. Like, oh, if you don't get a good grade, yes. or if you don't listen to what I say, yes. I shall not feed you what mm. you need. Yeah. 
That's then, ridiculous. So then we have Charles who... My then, child will not fly. She will run to the kitchen and steal food. Yeah, sure. this is, but this is also how the impact is there could be the eating disorders in the future. 100%. Right? Like, and that's not okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think maybe just to add on also, I think just now Dee was mentioning isolation. So last time mm. I used to have a case that, you know, if the child misbehaves, how they do it is, I mean, the parents would be like, no, then you can't go to school. You can't talk to anybody. Mm. So that's a form of punishment they use. Mm. So it doesn't sound logical yeah. in that sense. But mm. but that also creates an isolation for the child. Mm. Yeah, where they don't have peers. They have very peer relations, like very poor peer mm. relationship. They can't really relate because they're not in school often. Mm. Yeah. And it's not their fault that they're taken out of school. Yeah. 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 So and some yeah. and sometimes the isolation cannot it can be like the children are going to school, but at home they're not allowed to mix with their family. Right. So can you imagine there you are, the whole family is eating dinner, but you are seated in one corner just mm. watching them. Yeah. You know, so that's a form of isolation as well. You know, like you are um, not letting the child have the emotional mm-hmm. connectedness with the family, with the people around. But then you see your maybe your siblings yeah. or other people. Yeah. And this is something I want to call out, yeah, because like I'm sure when this happens, there are other people around. Mm. I mean, of course, there are cases where it's isolated, right? Yeah. Like it's one on one. But in the case where you, you are a family and you see a kid well, you're not the one who's giving the punishment, right? But being a bystander is also not okay. I feel like so many times we are scared of speaking up. Yeah. We're scared of speaking up because you don't want to create a fight with maybe mm-hmm. your friend or, oh, it's not my kid. I shouldn't tell her how to raise her child because parenting, you know, is very iffy. Yeah. Mm. You know, people will, are not happy if you tell them how to raise your child. Mm-hmm. But I think that it still should be said. Yes. Something should still be said if you see something wrong. Mm. And if it should not be said at that table, then please call a hotline yeah. to then raise awareness for then for the kid to be helped. Yes. Because any long-term isolation is definitely not okay. Although I was the adverse, like isolated myself. Mm. To run away from the violence yeah. or the noise, I actually ran away to the swimming pool every day. That's how mm. I learned how to swim. And that's why I love the water. <laughs> That is also not okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, kids, if you feel like you have to run away from four walls that is supposed to be your home, supposed to be protecting you, and I mean, I don't think children really watch this, but if you're friends of friends or whatever, once again, reach out to the hotlines because that's not okay either. Yeah. 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 If you have don't have a phone to call, you can talk to the people in school. You know, I taught my, uh, the people I work with, right? if you cannot get help, but, you know, you go to any shop, ask the person, can I use your phone and call for help, mm-hmm. you know? Tell the teacher. And if no one is listening, keep on telling. Yes. Yes. You have to keep on telling. So, to expound on that, right? I feel like Singaporeans in general, when we are brought up, we are very spoon-fed or we are told, don't speak up, don't do this, don't do that. We're don't always afraid. Yeah. We're always afraid to, like, raise our hand or talk to someone or maybe you lack the confidence. People who are abused definitely lack the confidence to speak up. So what I want to say is what she says is so prevalent because even if you reach out to the first three people and they feel like you shouldn't be helped, I'm saying this because first-hand experience as a 14-year-old, I was, well, it wasn't rape, but I was sexually abused several times. And there were on every, each time, I would go around to my friends and tell them, hey, this happened, can you help me? And they were all afraid of the abuser because they're bigger in size or, you know, things like that. And so I lived with it. And I've lived with it so many times over the course of like such a long time. Before now, I would like put my foot down and be like really standing up for myself. But it took a long time. So even if the first few people you reach out to 
do not stand by you and are afraid as well, it should not mean that you should take it. You should definitely keep reaching out, find a way to reach out and stand up for yourself. Because even when you feel like no one's going to stand up for you, someone out there will. These beautiful ladies will. Yeah? Any other examples outside of isolation, outside of... Um, what was the other thing we talked about? Sorry. Verbal abuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, examples in regards to... Is it sexual or physical or... Yeah. Either? Uh, up to you guys. Just give me yeah. one more. Yeah. So I think uh, we deal a lot. I mean, lately, uh, we've been dealing with like sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. I think that was yeah. the increase since last year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also a lot of it is about increasing awareness. Yeah. But you know, we deal with families where parents were saying, oh, but this is how I was brought up. Oh, I just want to protect her. I want to teach her mm -hmm. so that, you know, uh, she knows what is right. But then you're like, no, that's not how you teach a child about boundaries. I don't understand. So how did they teach the child? So for example, like, for, um, they want to, like, I have a family recently, I think, where the child was, um, she was already, I think, eight, nine, and they were not allowed to close the door when they shower. Oh, God. Yeah. So then there will be, uh, I think it was a partner of one of the caregivers who will be there to watch. But then they will say that, oh, it's because of, I want to make sure that the child don't fall. But then the child is not a baby. Oh, yeah, my right? daughter's eight. Yeah, and then, and then it comes back to the impact. The child doesn't feel safe. The child thinks this is not right. I can actually tell you this because my daughter and I, we take showers together all the time, like since from young, right? Like we're super, super close. But at this age, I noticed this year she turns eight. She has started telling me like, mommy, after you shower, then I'll shower. Mm -hmm. And I go like, why don't you want to shower mommy anymore? She's like, ah, I just want to do my own thing. Because she likes to, you know, they want to doodle in the vapor and whatnot. I say, okay, sure, if you want to. Mm -hmm. But if there's anything, like if you're unhappy, mommy, and that's the reason, tell me why as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about communication. If your kid is telling you, I want space for a good reason, like she just wants space, she says, oh, you shower too quick and get out anyway. So then it's not an alarming concern. Give her her space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair because... I think this is about the age, just about the age 8 or 9 is when you kind of are aware of your body mm -hmm. and you're aware that, you know, your private parts and then whatnot. And that's not okay. Yeah. To force your kid to let you watch them shower, that's just wrong by any, because that's happened to me as well. Mm -hmm. And that is really not okay. Yeah. So I was brought up being told that someone has to shower me until I was, I think, 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. But it was because they wanted to be physically violent. You know, mm -hmm. pulling the hair through the shower when the hair was wet, when my hair was wet. You, how I, do you notice how I call myself an object? The Because <laughs> I, I want to remove myself yeah, for yeah. so long. You're yeah, like, yeah. it's a psycho psychological thing where I was trying to mm -hmm. run away. Mm -hmm. So I looked at myself from a third person perspective mm -hmm. when it was really just me. Anyway, so when my hair was wet, they would want to dry my hair, right? They mm -hmm. say that I'm helping you dry your hair and style your hair, right? But really, they're tugging at your hair. They're pulling it. It's very uncomfortable. It is in no way, shape or form you being loving to me. And I had known about it since a very young age. So I actually hated long hair for a very long time. So it caused resentment, you see. Mm. But the adults don't see it. And I guess as a child, I didn't put the whole picture together mm. so much. It's just like, this is happening on a runway from this. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so sexual abuse doesn't have to be like, outright touching. 
it can be things like this, you know, yeah. or comments made to the child. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, you look hot. And then you are, but you are eight years old or you are, like, all yeah. these That's things are not. Anything that you yourself would deem, no, 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 don't say that. Because some yeah. people will not think it's uncomfortable. How do we put it where if you say something and the other person doesn't take it as a compliment and it's uncomfortable, then it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first time you say it and you don't know, right? Yes. But subsequently, if the child is acting in a certain way where they're dodging you or they're hiding from you, then obviously they're not okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think there's other ways of taking boundaries. I think relating back to what Dee is saying, you know, there's, I mean, standing by the shower, how does it even teach the child boundaries. Like you're you're teaching the opposite. Yeah, yes. You're teaching the opposite. You're saying that I can be um, looking at you while mm. you're showering. So I think there are other ways of teaching the child boundaries. So um, I, I guess probably that is something that, uh, I think in the Asian culture, I think when we grow up, it's like, you know, uh, I have to see my child um, being safe in the shower. Don't play shampoo. Don't play anything else. And, you know, make sure things are okay. And then when we can't manage, we get our partner to manage. And then, that's where it starts to blur the lines. Yeah. Mm. So I think which age is appropriate, I think it's a very grey line. But mm. of course, I think when they are reaching seven, eight, they get to know a bit more about their body. I think even at school, I think they have started like mm. sexuality education and stuff yeah. like that. So I think in terms of boundaries, there needs to be, we can't just put off yeah. everything under the care of like boundaries and say that it's okay. Yeah. I can just stand there um, yeah, I think the other thing about sexual abuse is also sometimes it's quite sad. Like, um, I mean, when a child tells somebody who's close to them and nobody believes them, I think that's something that probably mm. for a child is quite uh, damaging. Uh, mm. Because, I mean, we, we, we do tell them, you know, keep on telling, keep on telling. But it's also the closest to them. Yeah. It's not believing of them. I think that's always like a struggle mm. of the child. Yeah, I think as a child, you probably want your family to be get together, everybody to get along. And, and I guess that's one of the struggles that maybe children face uh, in terms of telling somebody. Yeah, so so I, I guess it's always a very um, difficult conversation, especially for a child who undergoes sexual abuse, um, getting families to buy in, and then hearing your parents say, that, oh, I'm just protecting you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just challenging. Mm, yeah. It is, it is. It is very, very difficult. Yeah. It's first-hand mm-hmm. account. I can tell you, it is very difficult because... Like, whatever you just mentioned is very true. You will want the whole family to get along, and that's what you're taught mm, as an yeah. Asian person. I don't know other cultures. I can speak of my own, my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was taught, like, don't tell anyone, don't make the family fight, and therefore, I don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, if I'm a child, and I haven't had formal education yet, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like it's wrong, yeah. how can you guys not know it's wrong? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell anyone, because it wasn't one person who was doing it, right? It's a that whole setting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I say it's really important once again to reach out. Yep. Outside, if your family is not helping, go outside. And if you're outside, the first layer around you doesn't help, then go to the second and third and fourth until you get the help that you feel like you deserve. Yes. yes. Okay, we have spoken for a really long time and I thank you ladies for your time today. Shall we talk about the call to action? Should we just reiterate it? Yeah. You know, yeah. the hotlines and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, at Big Love, I think we think it's very important that the community also has a part to play in keeping the children safe. You know, it takes a village to keep the children safe. So, if you see something, you know, you're concerned, you know, call the NAVH line. You know, report, share with them what you have seen. 
if something is happening at that moment in time and you are think that it's really you know not safe, call the police. You know, um, let the police know what's going on. You know, share with them what you have seen or what you are hearing. And so I've done that. I've called on my neighbors. On you know when I go visiting, I see something on the other side of the house. I'm like, hey, I've called. And the police kept my name anonymous. So if you are worried about that, and NABH also keeps your name anonymous, mm. so they will not be telling the families that you know, uh, you are the reporter. So call them and so on. And then I think first at Big Love, you know, and we work with MSF to sort of raise awareness about child abuse. And I think it's really important for us to also be aware of what's going on in Singapore in terms of what is the issues in terms of the parenting, in terms of the child development, and so on. So um, we run a give a voice campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> so we run a give a voice campaign where we talk about the awareness of child abuse. I think we talk about what is physical abuse. We talk about what is sexual abuse. We talk general about general abuse, and we hope that from these uh, ads, from these exhibitions, and from the exhibit ads that MSF runs or the other organizations who run those uh, those ads, mm -hmm. that we as a community do something. We as community, you know, realize that we have a part to play, that we can do something. Yeah. I think maybe just to add on a bit, I think for, for me, the, the my favorite line is, we are our neighbors' neighbors. Lah. So that is something that sticks with me, even as a worker. Like, you leave the closest to your community. You leave the closest to, I mean, there's always this fear, like, right? Um, what happens if my neighbor turns to neighbor from hell? If I make the report, would they get to know me? But I think we are our closest neighbor. Um, look out for people, look out for children around. Yeah, so I, I think that's an important first step. In, mm. I mean, my, that's my personal view. Um, I think the other thing is, I mean, give a voice. Um, it's quite literal. We are trying to give children a voice. Yeah, so I, I think that's where our public outreach and awareness is as well. Yeah, so just a, a bit of add-on from what Dee is sharing. Yeah. Is that all, ladies? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today because I think child abuse awareness is something that I am very strong I very strongly advocate for the final words. And I thank you for your time today and I thank you for giving your time to the children as well. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having happy us. to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks guys. Thank I you. hope you have learned something and as they have said, lend a voice, give a voice to the kids in any way you can because I think the children, children in general deserve to grow up in a healthy state and environment. It would help them. It would alleviate a lot of whatever mental concerns you may have as an adult now could have probably stemmed from your childhood. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.